0: four teaching friends from across the country
1: who've discovered that if you don't laugh, you cry
0: and lose sight of your why. I'm Brenna. I'm Deanne. (laughs) I'm Tracy. And I'm Kathy. And we teach so hard. You know what's really hard? Understanding
2: those who are different than us and those who don't seem to fit into the mainstream.
0: Today, we're talking about Autism in Heels. It's a memoir by Jennifer Cook O'Toole. So this book um, is not a novel like our other book choices. It is actually a memoir. And it's written by this brilliant woman, Jennifer O'Toole, who after learning that her three own children had Asperger's, she began to do a lot more research to find out how to help them find out more about it. And as she was doing this, she actually was diagnosed herself at age 35 with Asperger's syndrome. And so for the first time in her life, things started to make sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It, there's a lot um, and we all know this as educators and, and some of our listeners even would know this as parents that autism spectrum disorders are are actually more commonly diagnosed in males um, yes yes you know, even I'm like thinking about the kids that I've had in my own classroom who had an Asperger's or an autism diagnosis um, they were all male all of every last one of them yep. and I've had quite a few yeah. um, and I know like, Kathy, you looked up the stats on this, and this was really interesting to me. That one in every 189 females would be have an autism spectrum disorder, and one in every 42 in the United States is diagnosed with. For males, is diagnosed. So
3: that's that's a big difference, isn't it?
0: It's huge. Yeah.
3: It you know, reading this, okay, girls, raise your hand. If while you were reading her descriptions of things that happened to her, raise your hand if you thought that you might have autism too. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> I did. It's like I should not read self-help books because I always think, you know, oh my gosh, I probably have that. Well, but it's then- like. A-
0: it's like in college when you took—I don't know if any of you took abnormal psychology.
3: Yeah. Yes. And literally every lecture. Yeah. yeah. Every lecture. Oh
2: my
3: gosh, they're talking about me. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: But you know what? I begin to think about autism. Is it's like a catch-all for almost everything. Um, I have a my niece and nephew have have two. They they're the ones that have the twins. So the little the little guy is um you know almost two, but he's he's exhibiting some autism. You know, kind of symptoms and they've had people checking and I saw him the other day and I'm saying to her, no, no, he doesn't. I mean, he he looks at you, you know, and, but not all the time, but he doesn't, he hasn't started talking yet. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping, you know, I haven't really seen, but he lets, he lets you hug him and he'll look at you. But not all the time, you know. It's almost like he. Sometimes it seems like he's. I wonder what he was thinking, you know. You
3: know?
1: Well, right. girls
2: do look
3: at you. Autism looks a little different in pink, according to the author. Well, mm-hmm. and, the things- and but but girls make eye contact and and don't show the same kind of. Yeah. Um, Aspects, to, you well, know, to their personalities. This the little guy did
2: them. make contact, eye contact, and he likes, you know, he liked to be hugged, and he would smile. So I just, I don't know. So that's why I question: is it kind of getting it to be a catch-all, well, which, which is not part of our discussion here. The, the yeah, thing yeah. about it, though, that I thought um, kind of drew the line in
1: the sand for me because, yeah, I read that too and was like, oh, oh that's kind of interesting, you know. See, see yourself. <laughs> okay. In some of her descriptions, I had the same experience, Retta. but what what was interesting to me was she talks, she draws that line in the sand then, and she talks about the difference being the intensity.
3: Yes. The intensity. Yes. Right. And, and I know we're going to talk later because this book really made me think about so many little girls over the years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, we we'll talk later about it, but um, you know, that I never would have thought of putting this label on. Yeah. It. But, but it was probably there. So Mm
1: -hmm. let's talk about what she says in the book about what some of the differences are between males and females who have the diagnosis of autism or Asperger's. Let's talk about what those differences are.
3: Well, boys with autism, and we're all used to spotting those, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, tend to have very repetitive, limited areas of play. Girls with autism are less repetitive, and they have broader areas of play. Mm -hmm. The girls are more likely than boys to be able to respond to nonverbal communication, such as pointing or gaze following, they're also somewhat more focused and less prone to distraction. And there, you know, again, there comes your perfect little student who's concentrating right. and it may be because of her place on the spectrum.
0: That's true. Right. Yeah. Well, what was so you know interesting.
2: Really? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, Kathy, oh, go ahead. Oh, what What, what was so <laughs> interesting to
0: me too, when they started talking about the checklists and, yeah. um, you know, the, yeah. the Asperger mm-hmm. checklist and how one of the questions always is, you know, are they, um, do they perseverate like on trains and, you know, uh, uh, those kinds of things, lining them up in in rows. And she said, well, of course I didn't. I didn't even have anything like trains and trucks. She said, but you should have seen the tableaus I used to set up my Barbies in. Right, like these elaborate right, right. scenes. So it's it. She was doing the same type of things that boys are identified with, but in a completely different way, mm-hmm. given what she had as a girl and the types of toys she had in her own home. So
1: mm-hmm. that was fascinating yeah. to me. That was an interesting yeah, part I mean, to me too, because I thought, well, I lined up my dolls, and who you know, right. but <laughs> me too. The thing, um, and I was the kid who collected. You know, got on a tangent and would collect and be passionate about something. You know, until it, it um, you know, like a
3: dog with a bone kind of thing. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, me too. And, and would talk to everybody who would listen or even who wouldn't about it, you know, ad nauseum and, until I finally realized they weren't but listening.
1: You, <laughs> so. But then you think about that and you put a frame on that. And I'm not saying, and you know, I'm gifted or anything. But, but a lot of times that's also something that people look for as markers that a child is gifted. So what yes. then, what
2: she yeah. talked
1: about though was the perseveration of it. The I have to do this kind of intensity.
3: Um and and can't be
1: distracted. Yes,
2: exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what was really interesting to me too is I had no idea like that anorexia happens in in girls that are on the spectrum. Yeah. That's that's really that mm-hmm. that blew my mind.
3: I had that Oh, here we go again.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, and it was interesting too, where, you know, the diff- some of the differences that with boys, you know, the social communication was very challenging while they were young, whereas girls could kind of manage that until they get into their early adolescence, upper grades, which is what we all teach more um, mm-hmm. taught, right? And that's where we start to see it right. kind of stand out even more. Because the, the social demands change
2: mm-hmm.
3: so much more um, uh, sharply for uh-huh. girls mm-hmm. right, than, than for boys and adolescents.
2: I think the other thing that was interesting, too, is boys that um, engage in disruptive behavior, they do it to gain objects, while girls do it to get attention. Right. So, yeah, that yeah. was interesting. interesting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Very you know,
1: this, it's so
2: interesting because
1: when I'm going off on a tangent here. Um, I, I have a close, a relative that's close to me that was not diagnosed with ADHD until she was an adult and deal with that issue with her own daughter and mm. similar. And then when she looked at the inventory, That she had to fill out, and then her daughter was, you know, the checklist, so to speak. And she made the realization that she could check off almost a hundred percent of what was on there herself. And Mm -hmm. there's like information and studies out there too, which leads me to a point um, that ADHD looks very different in girls than it does in boys, as does
0: autism Mm -hmm.
1: or Asperger diagnosis. It, those, those things are very different depending on gender. And that makes me think, why is, why are there not more studies about girls with these issues? Why is it all
3: Well, I think there, there are now because um, the author, Jennifer O'Toole, uh, actually travels around mm-hmm. as a speaker. She's written several books, um, mm-hmm. not just this one. So it, it, it's becoming more well-known. Mm-hmm. We're kind of sitting on the cusp of it another right. reason that this is such an mm-hmm, important absolutely um i I think all of us
1: are in agreement with this that if you're if you're listening friends you need to check this book out if especially if you're a teacher this is a fabulous read mm-hmm. on many levels but um, yeah. but just because of the profession that we're in it was a wow for me
2: mm-hmm Yeah, me too. Yep. Okay, so (laughs) let's talk about um, what
1: experiences or examples from Jennifer O'Toole's life kind of hit home for you, maybe hit home for you personally, maybe it reminded you of former students, you know, what is it that that kind of really stood out to you personally? I had a couple um, things that really that really hit home for me. One of them I'll talk about. Um, I'll bring it up again at the end when we talk about our favorite quotes. But um, there was early in the book, she talks about labels. You guys remember that? And she's talking about mm-hmm. how labels, you know, people get freaked out about labels. Parents get freaked out about labels. Okay, but for right, questions right, right. they don't want to know the answers to, <laughs> and she gives the answers, and she get in trouble for it. Right, um, right. And so mm-hmm. she talks about this, and she says labels can be used to do harm, which is a lot of times where parents are sitting across the table from us as teachers when we are not diagnosing because we can't, but when we're talking about testing results. That's what they're most of them are fearful of. But then she goes on to say, they also have an immense power to heal. We don't hold, withhold medicine because it can be misused. And that that was, that was so interesting to me because we do. I mean, we're all afraid of labels in some way, shape, or form. We all have
3: a fear around different labels. Right. Well, we can't ever at a parent-teacher conference um, diagnose or label. We can just describe the behaviors, show the but if results, tested
1: an you know, I, and tested an IEP, and, and we know they have a le-
3: and already yeah, has, has have a learning label? disability,
1: yeah. or you know. But but the uh-huh. thing is, is that getting a parent to that point can often be you know, a really hard journey and scary for us as well as for the parent, because the parents ain't, a lot of times the parent is
0: angry about it. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Or they feel it reflects on them as or a parent. they've had that experience yes. themselves
1: yeah. in school and now they're seeing yeah. their child have it. It's heartbreaking for them. You know, and yeah. I, I think about that, you know, that just really stuck out to me as a teacher thinking about that. And then the whole thing about we don't withhold medicine because it can be misused. You know, I've had some labels myself, you know, I have an anxiety and a depression issue. And that that was a hard label mm-hmm. personally for me to wrestle with for quite a few years before I just said, you know what, this is no different than someone else having
2: gallbladder problems, right? Mm-hmm. Right, that's right well, you know I think it's it's different for you know teachers because I was teaching special ed for a long time and um it's hard for teachers in the regular classroom like you you, you can't come out and say, look at this person no. is ed or something or you know right. you're seeing this you know you can't do that because parents will have a fit and uh, at least when I was teaching it you know by then they do have the labels and they're basically accepted especially if they're a little bit older I think I think the younger it's it's just well, hard and I to, think to too to
1: those that. labels. When she says, you know, they have an immense power to heal, I kind of, I do agree with her. I do agree that they can be misused. Absolutely. We've seen that historically. But the thing is, is that when we know that this child is LD or that child has Asperger's or this child has a diagnosis of ADHD.
0: Right. And certain then things click know, and makes sense. We have
1: a menu of things yeah. to try.
3: Right.
0: Well, you she struggled them. so much yeah. with
3: making friends. Mm-hmm. That was so hard for her. And she had no yeah. explanation. Like she'd have a friend for a while when she was mm-hmm. younger, you know, much younger preteen um and it was really somebody who felt sorry for her and wanted mm-hmm. to teach her how mm-hmm. to act socially right and then when when that girl you know would get tired of her you know
0: and find other friends she didn't understand uh,
3: suddenly she'd yeah. disappear and jennifer right. had no idea why Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and, but if she had known then she would have learned, you know, that this is, this person isn't being my friend mm-hmm. for the right reasons. Right. She would have been able mm-hmm. to evaluate it. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's saw- also oh, hindsight, hindsight. That that's
2: <laughs> all. I think. Um, the other thing with her too is that's. Th- synesthesia oh. that she had Oh just yes. like, you know you're seeing numbers and letters and yes. tasting them and everything and she oh couldn't understand gosh. you know why other people weren't like that and if she tried to tell them about it they course, think she was crazy yes. right. and that, right. that
1: right. um that diagnosis is fascinating to me i do so much so much research and work because of the things that i create for my you know my business. I do so much work with art and reading about artists. You'd be shocked how many artists are synesthetes. I mean, they have synesthesia. Can wow.
0: oh that makes sense. Oh, though. So many. Yeah, of it them does. It.
2: It like and
1: Van Gogh, I just picture that. that <laughs> yes. When you look at Van Gogh's style painting and his painting, particularly Starry Night, many people who are Mm -hmm. in the medical field can look at that painting and think and have, have posed the question, did he have synesthesia because of how he painted it, because of how he painted the halos around the stars? You know, Kandinsky was a musician in addition to an artist, and that's because color was sound and sound was color.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. I'm so, I was, I, I was, oh, gosh, no, go, I was go just going to say I'm just, uh, one other thing on that, like what I was reading, I was thinking, gee, I don't think I'd mind having something like that. That must be really something to be able to taste a letter and, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh my God. Well, okay. you
3: might like it for a little while.
2: Right. Just to
3: experience <laughs> it. Maybe virtual reality someday. My my favorite part of hearing about that was Einstein oh. and chaos. Oh, yeah. Yes. Desk and the papers everywhere. Yes, and you know how, how it was all part of who he was, and he probably yes. was on the spectrum too.
0: Amazing. Well, so one thing that caught my eye about this book—it was recommended to me—but as I started reading it, my middle daughter, um, who is my stepdaughter, but you know we've she's been in my life for the last mm-hmm, nineteen mm-hmm. years or so. She. Um, it has a diagnosis of Asperger's, and as I was reading so much of Jennifer's story, I thought, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that is my daughter. that is my and yeah. and and especially the synesthesia, like she mm-hmm. is such an amazing mm-hmm. artist, and she has almost perfect mm-hmm. pitch, mm-hmm. like she can sing anything, she can draw like. Uh, just incredible things mm-hmm. out of her mind, and she used to say things when she was little nice. about how she could hear certain things, and we all yeah. thought she was crazy. I mean, not, for, but you know, oh, we'd be like, "Oh, yeah, she's, yeah, that's just her." But after I read it, I called her. I said, "I'm going to buy you this yeah. book." <laughs> I said, first, I want to, I want to apologize to all the times I just thought you were just making things up and." And I said, I, "This you have to read this. Like you are going to be so validated. Like you are so incredible." Oh, yeah. And you know now and think about that. It's that's and- like you know, people
1: yeah. people yeah. who who drop acid or took LSD and high hide- and saw, saw <laughs> yeah.
3: and, they, they do it so they
1: you know, can see things like yeah. that. Yeah. They associate that <laughs> with,
3: you know, <laughs> drug use, right? But,
1: but this is their reality. And the thing is, is that it doesn't, that reality doesn't
3: necessarily have to be a bad thing. Yeah. Um, right yeah right if you do any any reading as, as i probably do too much of in the metaphysical and yeah, you read about yes, it, yeah. the indigo children who who are a more highly evolved form of it's human an, mm, you would you draw, draw yeah. some connections here too be, because of the other abilities that they have that that take precedence over Who says that making friends with with another eight year old is a highly evolved (laughs) skill? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's true. So, you know, there I mean not that it's a bad thing, but I, I I'm just saying that some of the things that we value so highly, yes, maybe um aren't as important as as some of the attributes that that mm-hmm. people on the spectrum might have. Well,
0: and it's curious to me too. It, you know, what's the spectrum obviously is a spectrum. I mean, you have it, you know, different ends of it. But what makes sure. certain certain girls or women able to then navigate through that, you know what I mean? Like, it, so not to just stand out as being different right. and weird, but yet, you know, like Jennifer O'Toole was able to, I mean, she became a cheerleader. She became. Yeah. So, she practiced Yeah. It. And she was exhausted by it, she, right?
3: Right. She perseverated in her observations of other girls who were doing and being what she thought she wanted to yeah. be. Mm -hmm. and practiced it yeah so yeah she did she looked like the perfect girl right right? and and the perfect student the perfect cheerleader the perfect everything but not perfect inside feeling feeling Mm -hmm. right it was heartbreaking inside
2: yeah. That is heartbreaking. And I wonder if like, you know, you look at teen suicide and girls. I mean, I had this student in sixth grade that, you know, she was a good student. She she seemed to, she seemed was a little bit different, you know, but by eighth grade, she committed suicide. Oh. And I'm wondering now, could she, uh, it's, it was really horrible. I couldn't believe oh,
3: heartbreaking. it. Heartbreaking. I know.
2: Oh and I'm wondering if, I mean, who knows if, if things like that could have been going on in her right. head. Right. Because she was really intelligent too, so, which is so sad. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's talk some more though about... What this means for us as teachers, because, what you know, what you just asked that question, Dan, like, how do we know? How can we be more aware? Mm-hmm. How do we help students mm. who present with Asperger's or autism or even just have they appear to have some of the the traits you know, if others on the continuum, they might not even have the diagnosis. And that's that's not unheard of when you get into upper elementary for a lot of different reasons. You know, sometimes parents don't want to entertain that. Their child is high functioning. They are able to perform right. academically and sometimes you know highly perform academically. And so the parent says, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it, right? And so they don't want to entertain that. So how can we be more aware as teachers? Let's talk about that.
2: Well, I, th- I think it's really important to observe and just, you know, really watch watch the kids and see how they're acting in different situations. Um, I know some kids are bothered by visual distractions and fluorescent mm-hmm. lights, yes. and they can see the flicker yes. of the sixty cycle mm-hmm. electricity. Yep. Yeah. And so you need to just, you know, be aware of that and put their desk near a mm-hmm. window or try to avoid the fluorescent lights. So many. You
3: know, you remind me of something that long ago in the dark ages. When I was doing a teaching internship for my master's, we had an actual course in kid watching, oh, really? and mm-hmm. it was called kid watching. And I wonder if that's something that's been kind of yeah. forgotten over the years, and people do that.
2: Yeah, I bet they. I bet they don't anymore. There's there doesn't seem to be enough time yeah. in but the we day. We did, for, and, and we
3: practiced. Making instructional decisions and emotional decisions. That should be required, um, I would was, think. Absolutely.
0: A teacher. Yes.
3: You know, yeah. I think so. We made decisions based on uh,
1: notes One that we took care of watching. Know, I've done in the past um, that kind of piggybacks on what you just said, Retta, is, you know, uh, some of the children I've had have already, you know, been labeled. They've already had a diagnosis. And so I'm working with a special education or an ASD teacher. And right. um, it's really important to do that kind of observation to know, you know, what what is a self-stimming behavior that helps the child numb out, that helps the child cope with the stimulus around them. What are the things, what are the child's passions? Because Mm -hmm. those are also strengths, but they're things that you can go to when, you know, you're kind of backed into a corner with a situation because that will happen. Um, And so one of the things that I would do is I always had a sensory box handy and that sensory box was specific to the child, to what the child loved, to what the child needed. Oftentimes, it had a self timer um, because there would be timed breaks in added into the school day um, according to the child's n- needs. And sometimes, you know, it would be a particular subject where there needed to be two minute breaks every fifteen minutes, you know, or <laughs> you know something prescriptive like that. And because. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, what it did you have in the, the box child. Tracy? Like
1: for one child, um, he was obsessed with a series of books. I can't even remember the series right now, but he was obsessed and he loved to read. So that was one of the ways he kind of blocked us all out. He could sit in my book li- my book nook, my my library for hours if I let him. So I I put hit you know, a couple books from that series in there. Um he, there was a big fat like rubber band kind of thing. He liked to just sit and stretch over and over, stretch it, stretch, stretch it with his hands. Uh-huh. And it was soothing to him. Um, sometimes it'd be like hard candy in there. That was another thing that he really liked or gum, gum worked really well for him. And during that time when he'd be chewing on, chomping on that gum, he wasn't doing anything but chomping on that gum. And the, he learned how to set the timer for two minutes and we adjusted to that. When the timer went off, he shut it off. He spit out the gum and he came back to what we were doing.
3: Um, and then, you know, that um, was. So that's that's for a kid who was already. Um, already did, had an yes. I, and then he, I had
1: another child that dying. same year. I had two children with autism and another with Asperger's that year. It was an interesting year. I learned a lot. <laughs>
2: Sensory boxing mm-hmm. to say the least oh my gosh
3: <laughs> what what about letting other kids do something like that too you know stress stress sucks, shows up in many what, ways for you know, I, and for I'm ma- not opposed to that at all for students. me
1: this is what worked though with my kids with Asperger's or autism because their reaction to that stress was so extreme and it was extreme I mean they you know it there was an intensity there right. that you did not want to witness.
3: Right, right, and I found I found something else um, that helped a lot was to find out um, the, the thing, the way yes. they like to yes. show show what they know the best, whether it's through drawings or making up a rap song or um, using the computer right. rather than having to write out That's pages, time, you, know, you know, of a story.
1: Absolutely. Um, This particular child um, had an issue with writing. He had a lot of anxiety around writing. And so I could give him those other things. But that didn't detract from the point, though, that I had to have him. His goal was to write a paragraph and it had to happen. Um, You know, what was interesting to me about that, though, is when you do stuff like that, it teaches self-regulation. If it's done the right way, the child then can learn. Right. To recognize when that anxiety is, is mounting and to, you know, you build in those breaks and then they become the need, you know, I had that child, that particular child, I had two years in a row. And the funny story about that was at the end, at the beginning of the second year, I gave our writing prompt assessment that we do at the beginning of the year. And I was Halfway through it when I realized I had not given him his sensory box, his timer, or anything. And do you know that child wrote a five-paragraph essay?
0: It was after a a
1: sensory box and a self-timer oh to get... I mean, and we started with, write two lines, take a two-minute break. Write two lines, take a two-minute break. It was <laughs> agonizing, but... You know, yep. at the end of the day, the next year, it wasn't an issue, which was bizarre to me. But that's the way they learned.
2: Wow, wow, Tr- Tracy, was he getting oh, extra he help too, or he was just yeah. with he was you totally all the time?
1: Streamed, and then, um, okay. he, he had um, there was some speech and language, there was some OT, um, you know, pull out kind of things, but um, and then the. ASD teachers consulted with me,
2: but he was totally mainstreamed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Tough.
3: <laughs> I had I had some um, mainstreamed um, in my room. Also, I had one who did have a parapro with him all the time, Ooh. who could not take loud noises. Oh, yeah. And if a bell rang or an alarm yep. went off. He'd cover yes. his ears and scream. It was so painful to him. Yes, and that's so hot. And it, just, it took the Parapro forever to talk him down off of that ledge. It was just so frightening.
2: Wow. And how do you stop those things from happening so, in his school? And like scraping chairs? You can't. Well, and, you he know, had big,
3: really yeah. padded, noise-canceling yes, headphones. we have that in my room. <laughs> and he wore, he wore and, his and headphones. And sooner or later,
1: I mean, that's the other thing. I was lucky because with that particular child, I got to have him two years in a row. And I was thrilled to have him two years in a row. In a row, especially, you know, the next year when he started and I could see the growth because I had just intentionally dropped the ball, you know, and, right. and there I was. And then I was able to push him in different ways. Um, it was very exciting. But, you know, a lot of times we don't get to see that as teachers and and it might take that long for something like that to happen for the light switch
3: to come on. Right. Right.
0: Right, right. Yeah,
3: sure. Yeah, Something that surprised me and the things, you know, to look for in your classroom that I guess I didn't get when I was a teacher, uh, teaching generalization is is a problem for kids with autism. To teach a child, for example, to generalize Mm -hmm. the principle of not running across the street, it has to be taught in many different locations, not just one because the child will then think that the rule applies yes. to that place. You no, know, social stories and are great not to to other
1: for some of those realizations.
0: Yeah. 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 Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Kathy. Well, and oh, I was just gonna say one last thing too, just, you know, with, well, it's good teaching, but also particularly with our students who have Asperger's is avoiding that long string of directions. I know I I'm too. guilty of that, right? I speak quickly. Yeah. I have a lot to tell them. But but my daughter was the one who said, she's like, I can't, I, I'm only hearing the first thing you're saying. Because even at home, I would give her like a bunch of directions. And she's like, can you just give me one thing at yeah. a time? And I said, oh my gosh, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I can break it down, you know? Yes. <laughs> Oh, Even like a bullet a to list, I did something like that's that true. where I would learn. I learned to write things
1: in bullets on the board, and then there was a magnet, and I would put the magnet on the first one, <laughs> and then he would come up and yeah. move the magnet to the second one, and yeah. he'd go do his thing, and then he'd move the magnet to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it was it was a that way genius, to break it down. But boy, it. did I was the one who needed to be trained for that. That's hard, but it's. Yeah, that is right, hard.
2: and and absolutely. and we have an obligation to yes. train ourselves. Exactly. Another interesting point too is um, some kids that fidget all the time. Yeah. It helps give them a
0: padded, weighted vest oh, to wear. Yes, interesting. Yep. I guess it mm-hmm. absolutely keeps them focused and calmer. It's amazing. Well, and now don't think sell just for normal. Uh, not for, not normal, but just for people without any sort of you know diagnosis. Oh, they know. sell those weighted blankets. <laughs> That's like a big thing right <laughs> yeah. now.
1: I joke, so, oh yeah, right. that's, that's true. That's right. <laughs>
3: See, they're more—they're more evolved. They're more I joke just that I'm going to wear my now.
1: weighted blanket to school. Call <laughs> <laughs> oh, my first week of anxiety. Yes. Uh,
2: Oh my gosh. Oh, by the way, Tracy, this is off the subject, but I saw a desk <laughs> that there was a, like a bed underneath it again. I thought of you. It was on Facebook.
3: We are out of time.
1: Blanket. So let's go to our last segment. What is your favorite quote or aha moment from the book? Retto, you want to lead us off?
3: Sure. My absolute favorite comes towards the end of the book where Jennifer says, There wasn't a rule book then like I wished. There was no peek into the secret rules that I knew had to be there, but couldn't ever figure out. There were rules. I was sure of it. Everyone else seemed to get them, but not me. Over and over, I'd mess up without even realizing it, then try to cover it up, then have to find Mm. new friends for that was the part that hurt me the most she was always having to find new friends for 34 years that was the mm-hmm. cycle until i learned a new word asperger's and all of a sudden i'm i made sense it all made sense no there wasn't a rule book then but there is now yeah it gives me part, the chills hard code cracking mm-hmm. part doodle pad i, I love, love it. that mm-hmm. cracking, part doodle pad
0: yeah um well it's one i can't remember where it is in the book too but where she says it's wondering always wondering and never understanding how can i be so smart and still Mm -hmm. feel so Mm -hmm. stupid right Mm -hmm. i think that's when it becomes so important too not just for our students who have asperger's but for all of our students to really teach that social emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence right and and Right? I mean, yes. that's almost more important than the grades, right. the academics. Um, right. they really in, being in tune with our kids in all of those ways. Deanne, what was yours? Absolutely. Yes.
2: Okay. Um, I am most definitely still learning how to hear my own voice, but I have learned how to tell my own truth. Along the model journey, I have fallen many times, and every time I've gotten back up on my feet, Not always gracefully and not always quickly, but I have gotten up, and I am proud of the scars I bear because they are proof that I am stronger than whatever or whoever has wounded me. Today, I choose to keep dancing, to turn my stumbles Mm -hmm. into a part of the routine because I'm making this up as I go along. It it just shows her strength. resilience. I have to be strong. Well, I kind of shared mine already, but labels
1: can be used to do harm, but they also have an immense power to heal. We don't withhold medicine because it can be misused. Neither can we avoid potential good by shirking our responsibility to challenge stigmas and correct misinformation. If we don't, words that we can use to change lives for the better will instead be allowed to remain a source of self-loathing and desperation. Fear and shame are the undoing of kindness and the antithesis of empathy. And I thought, you know, the bravery it takes, right, to, to bring that out into the air, open air, out into the oxygen, right? It just, yeah, I that mm-hmm. resonated with me on many Definitely. levels, personally and, and professionally.
0: When, well, and because, no. sorry, Trace, just to interrupt you for one second. Besides this book, she's also written books specifically for mm-hmm. girls with Asperger's, like writing yes. to them and giving them, and, the, you know, the rule book basically, what she had learned in her about life.
1: We so talk about culturally responsive amazing.
0: teaching and the importance for children
1: to see themselves in the literature that is used. And whereas Asperger's and autism might not be a quote unquote culture, it is still important for kids to see themselves in the right. I mean, think about how less alone she might have felt if she had seen a book like that and seen herself in it. Wow. Well, this has been a fantastic read. And our listeners, this episode went longer, but we hope you found something valuable in it. If you haven't picked up this book yet, oh, my gosh, you have to. It is so good. You also need to make sure. Check our show notes um, Kathy, Absolutely. um, has a blog post that you're going to want to check out there. Um, in addition, next week, we have another book in store for you. This one was read as pick. And I got to tell you, it was also a fascinating read science fiction. It was so much fun. Redda, to read a, a genre, beloved for to me for so many years. And I haven't read science fiction in ages. Goodbye. No, I know.
0: And And that's for now by Lori
1: Frankel. You have to check it out. Um, We'll see you back here next week at this time. Um, We hope you're enjoying your summer and these great books because you teach so hard.